Hello, everyone, and welcome to D and Discussions, the podcast for D and D players, both DMs and players alike. Uh, I am your host, Ryan Reeder, and with me, as always, and since this is the first episode, that is totally true, is Ben Bumhopper. Welcome, Ben. How are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm doing absolutely fantastic, and you're right. We are 100% together on this show so far. Yep, it's a good good record. Hopefully, we'll be able to keep it. Um, and since this is the first episode, just to kind of give a little background of what we're trying to do, uh, we're just two guys. We've been playing uh, D&D for both of us several years. Uh, personally, I've been playing mostly in the 5e era. And we love talking d and I mean, we, we, we both run games. We both play in games. Uh, we've both been DMing each other for the last several weeks talking about D&D. And as, we should just turn this into a podcast. Yeah. Because why not? I mean, there's a lot of D&D players now, especially lately. There's been this meteoric rise of D&D, especially since 5th edition and the advent of streaming and accessibility things like Roll20, Fantasy Grounds, D&D Beyond. And it's, it's, the hobby is growing like never before. And so it's just such a fun thing to do and it's such a fun thing to talk about. Uh, what if, what's, what's kind of just real quick, Ben, a little of your background? Well, uh, the first role playing I ever actually did was uh, just a, I, I joined a vampire game in high school. Just my, my sister was playing with some of her friends and they just, I guess, felt pity on me and invited me in and, you know, played a session or two with them and, you know, did a little bit here and there. Uh, and then, gosh, maybe eight years ago or something like that, uh, I, I started listening to the, the Penny Arcade Acquisitions Incorporated stuff and it just got me just in this mood to play again. I'm like, okay, we're doing it. And uh, I ended up uh, finding some people to to play with and I ran a fourth edition for a tiny little bit. Like it's one of those things where it was, uh, you know, play for, you know, one afternoon and then three months went by, play again, you know, doing what we could. And then uh, finally it just turned into, you know, once fifth edition released and everything and, you know, I've got a, a regular game that goes about once a month that IDM. Um, I was playing in a, a fifth edition game that we played through one of the modules. We finished that up. Now we switched over to a Star Wars game. So it's uh, there's a lot of variety and a lot there to, to just have fun with. Yep. As my uh, Kickstarter list shows, I, <laughs> I've kind of <laughs> gone crazy in the last six months because there's been a lot of really good D&D Kickstarters lately. And that's one of the things that we will be highlighting throughout the show throughout the week. Uh, just to kind of give you a, a quick idea on format, we are going to go over a few topics uh, every show that we do. Uh, one of them will be from a DM perspective. Mm-hmm. and We can kind of give our experience and discussion on that. And then the other one will be from a player perspective uh, so that hopefully you get a really good mix and whether you're a DM or a player or both, hopefully you can get something out of it. And then uh, we plan on shouting out uh, community stuff, stuff that we find, stuff that you send in, uh, Kickstarters, uh, other streams, other shows that we enjoy listening to, those type of things because uh, it's an amazing community. It's a super supportive community. And so we want to make sure that we are giving back at the same time. And then towards the end of the show, we'll be kind of uh, 
giving little uh, tips and tricks and discussions from some of the games we run, how, how they're going, some of the cool things we did, what worked, what didn't work uh, before we wrap up the show. So all that being said, Ben, let's hop into our first DM topic. And uh, this week, the DM topic is going to be starting the game and expectations for DMs and players. And so this is a wide topic and we're going to talk about a lot of different things tonight. And most likely we'll have discussions on a lot of these things individually, but we'll try, we'll probably try and kind of keep the, the, conversation high level who knows how deep the rabbit hole goes we haven't done this before this is this is all new this is fun so let's uh just kind of figure it out as we go yeah well Um, also i think a big disclaimer we need to throw in there is that we are definitely by no means uh infallible when it comes to some of this stuff uh we're still just you know kind of amateurs playing and just dming setting our own stuff up so you know take the information we have as enthusiasts and uh, people who are just really trying to just spread this fun around. Exactly. Um, So the first thing I like to think of for starting the game is before, I mean, number one, you got to have players, right? You got to have, you got to have friends. You got to find some people to play with Uh, that. That's kind of, it's, it's own, uh, it's own quest line entirely because especially for us dealing with adult schedules mm-hmm. sucks it, it sucks big time but thankfully these days there's plenty of tools you can use uh between forums between i, I talked about fantasy grounds and roll 20 uh in-person games are of course always super fun because you have that face-to-face interaction but you can get a lot of that from online tools too Exactly. I mean, just to give you an example, uh, the online tools that I use is essentially Discord because uh, we've got people all over. The, well, okay, so two of my players actually moved to Phoenix, so we only have one person who's still uh, out of town. But because of this, just everybody logs in, you know, at home. Uh, I actually have a, a, a OBS set up so that I can use that as my camera in Discord. And then I, I set up the maps and, and everything like that and just, you know, aim a camera at it and, uh, you know, have my face on there too because I, I tend to talk a lot with my hands when we play. We found this out the, the hard way. <laughs> I was like describing a whole bunch of stuff, <laughs> like going like this and no one can see me. So, yeah, finally use that, uh, that add-on for OBS to, to be able to do that. And, uh, you know, so I'll move the, or I actually, you know, still get like 3D, you know, little miniatures and everything like that, move things around and stuff and, I mean, it, it works well for me. I know, like you said, like Roll20 works really well for a lot of people who are doing things, you know, not in the same room. And I mean, it, when you have the technology to be able to play with people from around the, you know, the globe, it, it just opens up and gives you that much better of an experience to be able to play with people that you really want to. Yeah, totally agree. And it's, there's never been more tools mm-hmm. than there are today. Uh, so Get your group together in whatever way you prefer. And then once you get your group together, you have to decide, okay, am I going to do an adventure or am I going to homebrew this thing or potentially even do a hybrid of the two? So when we say adventure, we mean, uh, so Wizards of the Coast 
the publishers of D&D, they actually come out with what are called adventures, usually a few a year. And these are pre-made, uh, pre-made modules, pre-made books, essentially, where you get the book and it's, you know, 100, 200 pages, and it runs you through an entire adventure from level one to five, from level one to 13, whatever. There's, there's quite a few of them out now. Yeah. And so you can get one of those, you can read it over and then you can run that for your players. And that takes a lot of the DM work and prep off your shoulders and puts it in the book. The only difference with that is you have to familiarize yourself pretty well mm-hmm. with the book um, or else you could run into trouble since certain things have to happen at certain times. Exactly. Uh, one of the things that I found too is that um, the neat thing about the module is, is that it, if you're new to DMing, it might be a good place to start because it does have all the groundwork there for you, but you still are able to, you know, you know, take out little bits, twist things around, improv as much as you can. And th- that's something that, I mean, I've never run a module, but I've played in games that have been modules and it's worked out really well. Um, I mean, I'm sure we'll get to this at some point in some of these shows, but there are times where I tend to just completely almost break a game with just weird, crazy ideas. And the fact that the system works around that sort of thing is uh, just a, a really good testament to how well these modules are put together, where, you know, it, it doesn't say if if player A does this, do this. If player B does this, do this. But it gives you enough of a framework to be able to kind of handle a lot of those situations that, that just randomly crop up from players just being players. Exactly. And there's a lot of starter ones Mm -hmm. as well. There's lost mines um, here in June. They're going to be releasing the new D and D essentials, which comes with a new level one to six adventure. Oh, Good. Um, and dice and cards and all sorts of stuff. It, I think uh, it's it's coming out uh, at Target first. It's going to be like twenty five bucks. And it's if you're looking to start DMing, especially that could be a great module to get you started and get you and a few friends playing. Definitely. Um, I think the one that I started off with was uh, what is it? Horde of the Dragon Queen or something like that. I know there's like a a, a two part. It, that's the first part. And then I think rise of Tiamat is the second. Yep. yep. So yeah, we start off with the horde of the dragon queen and uh, I ended up going in about thing like halfway into the adventure or so. And uh, by the time I was there, we were uh, the characters were level eight, even though the module I think is only supposed to go up to like 10 or something like that. So we, we leveled well past that, but it, it worked out really well and being able to just kind of, you know, throw me into the, the middle of the game worked out and uh you know, everybody knew that I was a module. So we, you know, kind of followed the story a little bit, but still did our own thing along the way and, you know, got places where we needed to go and everything. And uh, that worked out really well. Um, my personal experience for the most part for DMing is uh, I've done mostly homebrew stuff though. And so what is homebrew Ben? Basically homebrew is, uh, Hey, you see that building over there? I thought it up, uh, you know, the, the, the rules of the world here. I thought it's, it's something where you create the, the different encounters and events in the world and everything like that. Um, 
you know, I'm not doing it because, you know, I have a God complex or anything like that. I'm doing it just because I thought of a really what I thought was a cool story that I wanted to tell. I wanted to, to, to share with people and, you know, grow and meld that story with them and kind of see where things go. Um, it, it's just something that I, I really enjoy doing. Uh, Homebrewing is, uh, well, I think of it as like a big sandbox, right? You, you have this D&D 5th edition, for example. But I mean, this could pertain to many tabletop frameworks. But, but personally for us, so like 5th edition, that's your, your bones, your skeleton. And then the world you want to, and the stories you want to tell are kind of built in and around this framework that you're using. So the, the, like the game I run currently is completely homebrew. I made the world, I made the continents, I made the towns and the cities and the politics and uh, the storylines that are coming from it. And all of that sounds super intimidating at first. And in, in some ways it is, but that's the cool thing with homebrew is you can really decide how much and how far you want to go with your homebrew. You could do you could do a homebrew setting and make a small town with a few buildings, a few NPCs, and some adventures to do in the town and in the surrounding area. And that's it. That's all you do. And you could have, you know, tons of sessions off of that. And the players would then almost help you build out the world as you go. Or you could go as in-depth as I have made four continents in a world. Whoa! Uh, there's, there's more uh, for everything. I have built out, you know, several dozen cities and the framework for them. And look at all this terrain and, oh my goodness, politics and religion. And, oh my gosh, the rival army is coming in. That could be really bad. And just have this, you know, crazy thing. And that's not bad either. If that's the way you want to go, go for it. Because oh, yeah. the, as long as you're enjoying it, like your players are just going to benefit from that. Exactly. And the more psyched you are about the, you know, the stuff that you create or the things that you run, the more psyched your players are going to be to be part of that as well. I mean, if you want to look at it this way, there's no wrong way to play because well, you have, and this is news to me. I didn't know that you had four continents worth of, of just everything. Oh, um, I don't personally. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't personally. I have a friend that does. Oh, and it's gosh. pretty, pretty insane. Uh, he's an excellent world builder. I'm, I'm much more in the middle. Okay. Yeah. Cause the, the setup, I actually started, uh, my, my group right now, it, it started just as a one shot just because, you know, so much D and D was flying around everywhere. I'm like, okay, I'm going to run something. It's been forever. And so I made, you know, a one shot that, you know, one shots always go forever because you don't anticipate or you forget how long it actually takes to do things. And uh, it was like maybe about a 10, 11 hour game session. There were like only three encounters <laughs> in it, but it took a while. And, you know, I just started just this very simple town. And then, you know, afterwards I'm like, okay, that was really fun. I kind of talked to everybody and uh, I'm like, did you guys enjoy it? Did you want to continue? And then from that, I started, you know, slowly growing, had an idea of, of two other towns and then slowly grew 
I don't have a full continent yet, but I've got a, like, you know, a nice like province set up. Yeah. With, it's uh, evolving over time. Exactly. I've yeah. got, um, you know, not a whole lot of political stuff going in between these small towns, but I know there's a city down to the South that I'm, you know, coming up with stuff in my head and they're nowhere close to even getting there. But because I'm kind of, you know, uh, dripping some of this, this info in as they're playing and, and, and growing the world slowly, I'm able to come up with all these different cool things and scenarios and plots that are happening in the background just so that they'll be ready for them when my players do, you know, decide to go to a certain place. Yeah. And that's what I call a grows you go. Yeah. <laughs> that, I'm and, and, it, and for me personally, that's, that's the kind of uh, homebrew I run for the most part. And I, I do that because it is much more manageable. Yes. So you go, okay, my players are deciding this and that. Okay, I need to start fleshing out this and that type thing. So it's good. Uh, so now you've got, you've got some friends. You've decided whether to run a uh, pre-made adventure or make your own homebrew world. Now what do you do? Um, you don't have to do this, but a lot of times when people ask me about DMing, I recommend they run what's called a session zero. And what this is, is it's kind of like a level set. It's a setting of expectations. Okay, guys, here we are. Here's the adventure or the world. Here's uh, the rules or any custom stuff that I'm going to be doing in this world. Um, Here's the uh, RP versus combat ratio. Like I want to, I'm, I'm planning on shooting for like 50% role play and 50% combat, or this is going to be a really combat heavy campaign I'm running. I'm planning for 80% combat and 20% role play, or, you know, the opposite, 80% role play, 20% combat. Uh, So this, this type of session really helps out a lot because then all the players know what they're getting into before things start, they've agreed, they've bought in to what's going on. Um, there, you might throw a, a code of conduct out, which is, you know, don't be stupid, is basically the code of conduct in my games I usually go by. And then you can also, at this session, give them uh, any sort of intro information into the campaign that all of their characters would know kind of right off the bat. Exactly. I mean, having that discussion before you have your first game is probably one of the most important things you can do. Um, You know, you don't want to have someone show up and, you know, create a, an an elf ranger and find out that, uh, you know, elves are outlawed. And so going into like, Oh, I need to stay hidden the entire time. I wouldn't have chosen an elf if I had known this, you know, it, certain things like this and especially with homebrew it's very important you don't want to go into a campaign as a wizard to find out that magic is illegal that'd be rough yeah it completely like ruins your 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 story um are you great at uh at knives are you an awesome rogue well in this uh gritty um you know 1940s uh you know world war ii campaign why would you be great with a knife when everybody's shooting you with guns? You know, it, just having an idea of where the setting is, you know, restrictions and everything like that, like you were saying, is, is one of the most important things. Um, another one that actually matters a whole lot is how you're going to progress in the game. Uh, 
you know, if it is more than just a one shot, is this something that uh, it's going to be, you know, strictly XP based? So, you know, the DM will tell you how much XP you have after killing, say, those two kobolds over there. Um, or is it going to be something called milestone progression, which is really kind of entirely up to the DM to just say, oh, hey, by the way, you leveled. You know, but maybe with some more fanfare too, because I mean, that's just kind of a, of course, hey like, guys, you leveled. Yeah, I did that. Good uh, session. Not last session, but the one before. I'm like, oh, and y'all level up. <laughs> and then everyone just kind of sat there for a second, like, oh, yay. You know, they kind of <laughs> realize I said it. Um, and this is extremely important because, especially at the lower levels, if you're, you know, just starting out, like even just straight up level one or whatever. Um, if you're going XP based, just a couple encounters gives you enough to be level two. But if that's not, if, if the story hasn't progressed far enough that you don't want your players to level up yet, there's going to be some issues with that. Uh, you know, a milestone sort of, uh, you know, leveling up experience. Personally, I like that because one thing that I like to play, one thing I like to run is, you know, more of a story driven thing than just pure combat. Whereas other people, Hey, pure combat's the way to go. And again, nothing wrong with that. Um, but XP might be a great way to kind of keep track and, and keep that up to, to make sure that you're not progressing, your players aren't progressing too fast past what you already have planned. Yeah, exactly. I, I personally prefer milestone leveling myself. I like to, the, the games I run are usually a little more story focused. Uh, so that can help me just in my being able to, control the pace a little bit, um, control the encounter stuff a little bit. Um, one of the things too, that I like about milestone over XP leveling is if you have multiple people in your group, one person can't make it one time, another person can't make it another time. What do you do with that? Are you just going to give the, that person the XP that the other party members get are they going to not get it and now be behind potentially? And then you start running into some balance stuff that becomes harder with encounters when you have some characters that are different levels than other characters. And so that, that can, that can kind of get messy. Some people swear by XP leveling. Some people love it. I'm playing in a game right now that is XP leveling and it works. It can work just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think my personal preference is, is normally milestone. Yeah. And, you know, again, it's just one of those things down to DM preference. Uh, but again, we can't stress this enough. Make sure everybody's on the same page going into it. You know, I would hate to, to be in a game where it's, you know, milestone, but I, I specifically went and killed though that extra thing just so I can get this level for the next session or something. You know, it, it, it's entirely, you know, wrong if you don't communicate. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think uh, as well, so just kind of along the topic of starting out expectations, one of the things I like to tell my players when I'm starting a new new game, be it a new campaign, a one-shot, whatever, especially if they're brand new D&D players um, a lot of people these days play video games. Mm-hmm. A lot of people. Um, I played so much World of Warcraft over the past 
however many years. I know you did too. What? Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Um, and uh, one thing a lot of people I've seen, especially with new people, as they come and bring to the game is a video game mindset. Mm-hmm. Because in video games, you have artificial walls and barriers that are placed around the game because if you went through it, you would break it. D&D is different than that. D&D is not a video game. And the really cool thing I like about D&D over video games is that you legitimately, I mean, I, I, I say within reason, but I've, I've seen some pretty ridiculous things, <laughs> um, can do anything. Yeah. So like in a video game, I wouldn't be able to, in World of Warcraft, climb up this house to the roof and then do a leaping dive off, bringing my axe down on an unsuspecting enemy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Just mechanically, it, it doesn't exist, right? And so one of the things I try to do, especially at the beginning, is try to get players in the mindset of, if you want to do something or you want to try something, ask me mm-hmm. and we'll see what we can do. Exactly. And I mean, sometimes, you know, you have to rule against it being the DM. I, I mean, rarely do I say just flat out, no, you know, there's things that you can set up like difficulty challenges or dice challenge. I, I forget exactly what DC stands for. All I know is that they roll something and the DC is kind of what you make it. So if you think something's going to be easy, they have to beat a 10. You know, that like an average person can do it. If it's something, you know, higher than that, you know, you just up that, that, uh, that challenge a little bit more. But one of the greatest things that ever happens in any of my games is when a player throws something at me that is just so out of left field and I'm like, okay, let's try it. Let's see what happens. And it could just completely break the encounter whatever that I'm not there to, you know, make sure that they rigidly followed the story that I have, because if that's the way that it's going to be, then I might as well just write a book as opposed to bring other exactly. people to affect everything. And it, there has been some just absolutely amazing things that have happened when I've DM'd that again, just, just break it. Um, I was doing a, a one shot. Uh, our, our friend Ro was in town and I just ran a one shot for him. And a, a friend of ours, Ted Semi, was a rogue who basically didn't attack for 90% of all the encounters that we had. He was creatively using a rope to like stop a hag from casting because he was choking her with it. Or, you know, running around doing stuff, dodging beams from a beholder and trying to, to just grab a, 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 an artifact off of it. And it's just one of these things where I expected just pure combat going into this they completely subverted that changed the entire thing. And you know what? You just roll with it because that's your job as a DM is make sure that as soon as you have a plan, understand that it will die the second a player comes to it. Yeah. And many times the game is better for it. Exactly. That's where all those great stories come from. Exactly. As, as a DM, one of the things I like to like to tell new DMS, especially is, Yes, you can say yes, or you can say no, but there's also no, but, mm-hmm. or yes, but, and that's, that's something I like to do a lot because people will come up with outlandish things, but yeah. 
you're you're really trying to a lot of a lot of what you're doing is making it fun for the players. So if there's a way they can do this crazy thing or maybe not that crazy thing, but they could do this thing instead, then that opens up just a whole lot of new challenges, experiences, and fun for the players. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that's one of the reasons why I love fifth edition as much as I do is because the, the, the stats, the rules and everything are relaxed enough that you can just kind of mold something into whatever you need it to be. You know, it, oh, there, there's not a uh, an actual uh, stat for, um, I don't, gosh, I can't think of anything off the top of my head because who would have thought? For, um, you know, throwing a knife into a keyhole and then using Mage Hand to, to unlock a, I don't know, I'm making the most random thing sure, I can think of. Sure, but it's like something okay. weird a player would do. Yeah, so it's like, okay, well, we're going to have a dexterity, you know, like we'll do an attack roll with the knife on this, and then you can use sleight of hand with your mage hand to try to do the, I mean, there, there's different ways that you can combine things um, and just creatively come up with the way to let the player try to do what they want to do. Exactly. And I... I know we've mentioned this before too. And um, as we kind of wrap up our, our DM section a little bit, like I said, so many of these things could be their entire own topic. Like we could, we could deep dive into so many of these things. Um, But I did kind of want to touch on something we've been mentioning a few times and that's one shots. Mm -hmm. And so a one shot is basically, okay, I have this story this small self-contained story. We're going to make characters for it. Um, It's going to take a few hours, probably. There's going to be two or three encounters. There's going to be some role play. There's going to be a puzzle and there's going to be an ultimate objective. And it's like a a mini adventure, a mini module, if you were. And these type of things are absolutely fantastic ways of one, introducing people to D&D and two, as testing grounds for your campaign. Uh, these can be great, especially if, if a person is like, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'd want to commit to this or not. It's like, okay, let's do a one shot first and then see how you feel. Or it, especially for online, you don't know these people. Um, you don't know their personalities. You don't know if they'll jive well or not. Uh, let's do a one shot, see how it goes. And if it goes well, then Hey, maybe let's do a campaign. If it doesn't go well, great. Everyone, you you did a few hours. Hopefully you had some fun and there you have it. Exactly. And, you know, finding that right group is also a big key uh, important aspect of all this. And being able to just play with someone for a little while lets you know, okay, is this DM someone who you can actually work with? You know, um, are they constantly shooting you down when you're trying to say something or are they showing preferential treatment to another player or, or you know, little things like that, that believe it or not, you, you don't really think about until you're, you're actually seeing it happen. And, you know, having played in one shots before, as well as ran them, they can just be fun because I mean, that's where some of the, the, the craziest ideas come in because the stuff that you do might not really matter in the next game because, you're just throwing it. Uh, you're essentially, you know, throwing spaghetti at the wall, seeing seeing what sticks. And if you guys have a lot of fun together, carry forward. 
Exactly. And it can be a great way to test out uh, characters, mm-hmm. uh, classes, all that stuff, which is a uh, great segue into our player discussion, which yes. is character creation. So Ben, you want to uh, kind of run us through a little bit, a um, little intro to character creation. Oh yeah. Well, one of the big things about creating a character is, is that that is going to be essentially your identity in the game. You know, this is how you're going to be interacting with, uh, you know, any sort of non-player character. This is the, the person that you're controlling. Video game wise, if this was an MMO, it's the character you made that's running around. Um, the thing is, is that even though there are, you know, set rules in this as well, there's still a lot of customization to really make it your own. Uh, going from like, say, if you are getting a, a, the the Dungeons and Dragons like starter pack, and it comes with some pre-generated characters. So, if you're new to it, definitely try one of those out. You know, see if there's a class that you kind of like or something that just kind of you know talks to you. Other than that, there's so many choices and options to play around with. Oh my gosh! I mean, uh. in, in the player's handbook, there's a bunch of different races, a bunch of different classes, and I mean, if you go to D&D Beyond, they've added so many more just based on the different modules as well as the, just the, the uh, resources that have been out there. But personally, whenever I make a character, I start off with, okay, um, what's just kind of an overarching idea of, of what I want to be? Um, I've been in instances where, like the, the, the fifth edition game that I was playing in, I asked the DM specifically, okay, what sort of holes are there that need to be filled? You know, are you really melee heavy? Do you need a caster? Do you have a healer? Things like that. Um, and if you've had more experience with D&D, I find that people who have done that are much more easygoing and being like, oh, I'll fill this in. You know, I'll try this type of character. I've never done that before. And, and Those think, are great people. Oh, yeah. It, it's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Um, if there's someone who's new to it and, you know, they're like just starting out in my campaign, I, I let them have sky's the limit, whatever they want, you know, character wise, I'll, I'll bring them in if we need to. But, uh, you know, I, I try to go high concept first before they really dig into some of those details just to, you know, to, to do something simple. Like, do you want to be a caster? Do you want to be ranged or do you want to be melee? And then it's like, okay, well, I might want to hit some stuff. Okay. Um, do you like the idea of having a God behind your side or do you just want to go right in there and just punch the crap out of things? And, you know, and like you, you can slowly kind of whittle down to, you know, a, an actual class that they want to be. And then from there, figure out, you know, what, what sort of race, what sort of person they are. And, and just the, the little bits here and there, like help you define your character. Exactly. And, the, the the one thing that I always am curious about with people is how do you do your ability scores? There's a couple different ways. Um, so I personally usually do the um, 4d6 drop the lowest. Yeah, that's what I've started doing too. Um, so it, officially, like if you're creating a character through D&D Beyond, they have the, uh, the, the standard array, which is like uh, basically you have six numbers and then you just assign what they are, you know, going from like eight to, I think 16 is the highest you can get on that. Um, 
there's the 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 point buy-in where it starts off at a certain thing and then you just you know kind of click points on where you want to to fill it in like oh well i think i should have more charisma so i'm going to put four more points into that or something but like ryan said i'm a fan of rolling d6s so you take four d6s roll it drop the lowest number that's one of the scores and then after you you're letting kind of chance figure out what you're doing that's when you assign those. And this is where some really interesting character like design can come in. You know, sure, I'm a rogue. I have an 18. I'm putting in dexterity because that's my main thing. But guess what? I only got a seven in intelligence. So I'm kind of a dumb rogue. You know, it's, it's one of those things where you can kind of play around with and it gives you a lot of really good uh, options for role playing. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's really kind of interesting because and again, this is kind of where we talked about in the DM portion. You need to you need to know beforehand what kind of game you're playing. If this is a going to be a combat heavy game, I will probably min max my character more so than I would in a game where it's going to be more balanced or more heavier on the story. I might pick or choose ability scores or spells or proficiencies or something that lead or lend more towards role play versus combat. If I'm not going to be in combat that often. So that's one kind of thing that you can do while you're figuring out what kind of campaign it is, or once you've been told what kind of campaign it is. Uh, You can also draw on, uh, we talked about this a little bit, your previous experience, especially if you played RPGs. There's tons of RPGs and there's tons of character creation in these RPGs. Um, I was a huge City of Heroes player back in the day. And one of the things I loved about that game so much was the customization that you could do with your your look, your feel, your powers, all that stuff. You can do that in D&D. You've got all these options that you can do. You can make your character look however you want. There are no preset sliders. Like you can just do your thing. And it's and like, so it'll, yeah. it'll give you, you know, average, you know, age for humans is this, but you know, you can make yourself old. You can make yourself young. Average age for elves is this height, weight, everything. It kind of gives you an idea of it, but you can change it, do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. And that sort of customization is where I have a ton of fun just because hey, you know what, if you want to be a stereotypical looking elf person, but then have this, you know, really weird, like, I don't know, color hair or something, you can, you know, do something that sets you apart or blend in however you like. Uh, That being said, backgrounds on a character can actually come into play greatly into this. Um, One of the, the neat things that that Dungeons and Dragons has done is put a bunch of different like kind of background or background archetypes in there as well and you can choose different things um like say you know i was a folk hero and uh, based on that it kind of gives you some suggestions of things for like personality traits that you can do flaws that you can have because i i, I just want to throw this out there if you're a character who doesn't have a flaw you're not very interesting but that's just my personal opinion on that um yeah, but, i i agree it you can it, it's Less like less meaningful for a more combat focused, yeah, true type game. But it's, if you are going to be in a, a more balanced or more role play heavy game, lean into those flaws. 
because mm-hmm. they can make for some really interesting story beats. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but you know, filling in backstory is, you know, I find it a lot of fun. You know, whenever I make a character, I like having a, a pretty good backstory. I usually will write out two, three pages of stuff, but I mean, that's just me, you know, go in, give your DM as much or as little as you're able to, and they can work with you to, you know, incorporate that character into the story of the whole game. Um, if it's a module, may, you know, might not touch on it as much, but they can still work things in, you know, different aspects and everything. But this is one of the things that I've been trying to do, you know, with my players is they each gave me a, a pretty good backstory. And I'm like, okay, I'm planting seeds here and there. And it helps make the world feel alive. And you really feel a part of it when all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, over in the bar over there, that, that's your buddy Joey who you grew up with or something. And you walk up and you can talk to him and you have someone like a contact in a city or something. Hey, Joey. Exactly. You know, he was saving that, uh, that, that table with the couches right in the center of uh, um, Central Ale. The, the exactly. Bar. I'm, I'm tracking. I'm tracking. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> what, and one of the other cool things too, if, if you're, if you don't feel like you're very good at background or story, the cool thing is the, the D and D player's handbook actually provides tables you can roll on to figure out backgrounds, traits, flaws, strengths, and you can actually roll up a character literally. And then sometimes that can bring about some extremely interesting characterizations or potentially spark an idea for a character uh, once you have that, that beginning point. Mm-hmm. Exactly. In fact, the, the cleric that I run uh, started as a folk hero. And it, I mean, I pulled this directly from, from uh, the player handbook. It, he's named after a great hero from like, you know, generations ago and feels that he has to live up to that. And so that's driving him to, you know, kind of, have a heroic death. He's always going in trying to be the one to save it, trying to, you know, protect the innocence and everything like that to really build up his name. And it, it, it's kind of a flaw. If you ask me to, you know, constantly have the, this, this, this thing looming over you that you're just trying to fulfill and, and push towards. And it's made him do some pretty dumb stuff, but it's, it's who he is. Yeah. And your games, again, are better for that. If you play to those flaws, you will potentially get into much more interesting situations than you, you might otherwise. Um, <clears throat> ben, I think you, you talked a little bit about um, kind of our, our archetypes, right? You've got several different class. Once you, once you have your race and your background and um, your look and feel figured out, then you have to go in and pick your class. And there are a lot of classes. And the yes. cool thing is each class has subclasses. And it sounds overwhelming at first. But the nice thing about D&D is it starts you off small and then builds up to it. So that, that can be extremely helpful. So you just kind of have to decide, okay, I've got this, this cool character, this background. What do I want to do with it? Is this someone who stays in the back and and helps people? Is this somebody who attacks with a lot of damage from range? Is this someone who's up in the thick of things? Is this someone who's a a sneaky, sneaky person and a stabby, stabby person? 
And so then you can kind of go, okay, that, that'd be a rogue or that'd be a barbarian or a fighter to be in the front line or I'm a ranger or a, I want to be caster. I want to use magic. Okay, I'll do a wizard or a sorcerer or I want to just kind of be, be utility, kind of a little bit of damage, a little bit of help, a little bit of buffing, a little bit of debuffing type thing. Bard, Bard's great for that type of thing. And then once you pick your class, then as you level up, you can then move into a specialized field within that class or do something called multi-classing where you mix and match a little bit. And that is a, that is a conversation for an entire that, statement. Yeah, that, that's a whole, maybe a whole episode. <laughs> There's a lot going into those. Um, talking about those like subclasses though, that's something that gets me really excited about what fifth edition has done. Um, th- this is where if you're playing a game, you know, with a, a say three, four other people, they want to be a paladin, but you also want to be a paladin. That's perfectly fine. The subclasses vary so much that, I mean, granted you have the overarching, Hey, we're paladins, but they might be an oathbreaker paladin which is something entirely different than, you know, like the, I don't know the subclasses because I don't play a paladin other than Oathbreaker. Um, okay, so you might have two different clerics. Their different, uh, like, domains really play into how you actually play the character. Uh, my cleric, personally, is, is the life domain. I saw that that game needed a, a healing hole, and I jumped right in to do that. So, like, my specialty is actually healing, which... I rarely use healing spells, so I didn't mean to do that, but I'm able to, uh, you know, do a whole bunch of other stuff with the kit and everything. And I I still have a a ton of fun, but there could be a war cleric in there as well, where they're really more focused on actually dealing damage as opposed to healing it. Um, There's the, the grave domain, which is just bizarre and all about like, you know, ushering things through like ending life and, and ushering it to death and everything. It, it varies so much in just that one class. Um, rogue is another one that I find just really interesting because you have your normal sneaky sneak rogues um, and completely converse to that is like the arcane trickster, which is a rogue who, you know, as well as being a sneaky, sneaky rogue can also cast magic and has a, a you know, limited access to some different spells. Uh, monk is also another perfect example. They've got a brewmaster. They've got one that specializes in just hand-to-hand combat. They have essentially a ninja. I mean, there's there's all these different uh, subclasses that that open up so many different doors into other things. So, if you want to go into your character creation and, and basically just say, "Hey, I want to be Aragorn. I love Lord of the Rings. Aragorn is the greatest thing in the world." There's a path for you. It's down the ranger path somewhere. I'm not entirely sure where, but it's there somewhere. Well, and that's, that's really um, kind of a good thing to add too, is if you're looking for character inspiration, look to your, your favorite TV show, movie, book character. There is most likely a way you can do something that's very similar to that. And if you can't find it in the main rules, you can homebrew it. Or potentially somebody else has already homebrewed it. And all you got to do is find it and talk to your DM and be like, hey, I found this cool thing. And your DM can say, oh, I don't know. I'm, that looks super broken. But 
hey, let's try it and work with it and we'll balance as we go. That's, it's just so much you can do with that, but taking inspiration from movies, books, etc., is a great way to make a character. Definitely. And I mean, once you really have kind of a concept or, you know, some sort of archetype that you want to follow, finding the right fit for everything else just falls right into place so much faster than you think. You know, it, it's just one of those fun things where you get offered these choices and, you know, just kind of pick from what they have just in the player handbook. And it, you might see something like, you know, go into it being, all, oh, I want to be Aragorn. But then as you're looking at the Rangers, you find out, oh, I can actually have a, you know, an animal companion if I take this route instead. Oh, this is really cool. I think it'd be neat to have a wolf as a pet. And, you know, then all of a sudden you branch away from what you're originally intending and, you know, so many other things start popping in your mind of, well, how did I find this wolf? You know, did I find it as a cub? Did it save me from, I don't know, a pack of orcs? You know, there's so many different possibilities of just like adding to your backstory just by the tiniest little changes and things that you can find when making the character itself. It's, it's whatever speaks to you. Exactly. And that's, and that's one of the things that we'll be doing as this goes along is we will be talking through each of the classes in a, in their own segment in detail and the subclasses and just kind of how they work. Um, when what would make a a good character of x class cool things that we've done with it special spells or abilities that they have uh and situations you can use it all that stuff we're gonna we're gonna talk about in their own segment too so that should be um really fun i want to do it all at the same time but we can't because that would be really long um, yeah. And the hard part is actually figuring out, okay, which one should we do first or which one should we do next? And no, we're going to have to roll for it. Hey, there you go. That's the best the way to do it. D20 table. Okay. Um, and that's, <laughs> that's one of the reasons that the uh, 4D6 drop one, drop the lowest is fun because people like rolling dice. Yes. And uh, so that's why that has ended up being my preferred method because it means you get to roll more dice. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I ended up uh, getting just a, a small dice tray off of uh, eBay, or not eBay, Amazon, just because I like the sound of dice on wood as opposed to like, you know, a cloth mat or something like that. I'm just like, oh, we're doing this. I just dropped 10 bucks and it's just, it's my dice rolling now just because this, you need that sound. It just sounds good. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, any more character creation tips before before we move on, Ben? Um, I would say just the biggest one, if you have any questions or you have any concerns, just talk to your DM. They're going to be the best source for any sort of information or uh, any sort of help that you need. You know, if you don't understand uh, how a certain thing is supposed to work or something that you're supposed to choose, um, or even more so, like if you're not using D&D Beyond for your character sheet, which I highly recommend because it's so like user-friendly pretty awesome yeah uh, if you don't use that then i you know talk to them they can help you figure out you know how many hit points you're actually supposed to have versus or, or how many spell slots or something like that because that, that's what they're there for they want to make sure that you are able to know what you're doing and you know to help ensure that you have a good time yeah and and for me and just from a from a dm perspective to a player and if you're a new player this doesn't apply as much 
Um, but especially if you're someone who's, who's done a few things, one of the best things as a player you can do for your DM is to know your character. Yep. Because the DM can't know all the characters and some of them can, and some of them are just know everything on the top of their head. But many of us do not know all the classes and all the subclasses and all the abilities therein so plus all the spells yeah oh my gosh yeah when you throw casters into it that just that's a whole nother ball of wax and so one of the best things you can do as a player is read up just read up on your character read up on your abilities and that's that's kind of your homework is okay i have a level three fighter i'm just gonna look at them and learn all the stuff so that when I come and the D and I say, all right, I'm going to do this, this or that, uh, the DM can go, what does that do? And you can be like, it does this, Mr. DM. They're like, awesome. I'm glad I know that now. Exactly. It helps out more than you can possibly know. I don't know how many times I have to pull up like, oh, hey, I'm doing this. I'm like, what does that do? And then reading it along with the person who's telling me what it says, I'm like, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, totally do that. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Exactly. Um, all right. Well, that was the, uh, the player discussion portion of the show. And now we're going to jump into our community focus portion of the show. And this week I wanted to highlight something that I've personally been watching and I personally kickstarted actually quite a while ago uh, called Strongholds and Followers. And I am really excited to hear about this because I have absolutely no idea. And I, You've I, heard of Matt Colville, right? Matt Colville, I believe so. Okay, so he's he started off as a big YouTube personality. Oh, okay. He's been, he's been in D&D for quite a while, and he's got his own YouTube channel there where he has a series of videos called Running the Game. Okay. Yeah. I know yep. exactly what you're talking about. Okay. Now, if you are a DM, I highly recommend you check those out because there is a lot of really, really good information in those. But he recently, um, last year, kickstarted a new 5e supplement called Strongholds and Followers. And what this does is it adds rules for creating player strongholds, for building your mage tower, your your citadel, your your temple, your, your grove for your druids. Uh, it adds monsters and things you can summon. It adds retainers, which are these like more, more fleshed out NPCs basically that are lower level than you, but can accompany you or you can send off to do their own thing. Uh, it has some politic rules that you can use, uh, which is pretty cool. It's got uh, an adventure built into it that uses a lot of the systems so that you can actually run through and use the systems. Uh, it's really, really cool book. I, uh, my party actually just got to a city and depending on how long they stay and how much money they make, I'm actually really looking forward to implementing some of the stuff from this book. That sounds really cool, actually. Um, Luckily, my players aren't close to being able to set up a stronghold yet. So uh, when that happens, I, I have an idea of where they might be able to get one. But uh, I mean, they're what you know, definitely a few levels away from that in the very least. But I like the idea that uh, something like this is out there that 
you know, is much more in depth than what is actually in the DM book because, you know, the DM book has a little bit of uh, information on, you know, like uh, procuring a, a, a stronghold or a castle or a keep or something like this. But I mean, it, it just barely touches on it. So having something more in depth that gives, you know, a lot more information as well as kind of like plot hooks and, and everything like that. And especially that it's even more than just like, oh, okay, it's just a, a keep in a city. You know, the, the fact that you said Druid Grove, like kind of piqued my interest. I'm like, Ooh, I didn't even think of, you know. Yeah. You can get abilities from your buildings that you make and stuff. Yeah. yeah. That's, that, that's really cool. That's really awesome. I'm yeah, so check that out. If you if you have a campaign, especially uh, one in a city, uh, this could lend very well to that. As, um, especially if you want some more rules for for how politics work and how diplomacy works and that kind of thing. Uh, highly highly recommended. Very very good five E supplement. And kind of on top of that, uh, with this Kickstarter they and this book they did. They recently started doing a D&D streamed live game and it takes place in this giant, giant city called Capital and it's called the Chain of Akron and they stream it every Wednesday night at 9 Central, 7 Pacific time. And it's it's very different than a lot of the D&D streams I've, I've watched before and I say that in a good way because their stream reminds me a lot more of my home games as compared to something like critical role that is much more um, production values, very uh, high level role play. This is very much like I can relate to this because this feels very much or a lot closer to the type of game I run. And that's one of the reasons it's interesting to me. He's a very good storyteller He's a very good world builder and all the people on the stream are incredibly entertaining. They get along really well. And there's a lot of, um, it's, it's a great stream to watch if you are interested in a very urban style gameplay. Very cool. I have to check that out. Cool. So we will be highlighting community content like that throughout, uh, the weeks as we, as we do more episodes and we'll let you know how to get in touch with us. If there's any specific community thing that you find that you really like, or you think should be highlighted, we definitely love to hear about those because we love new content. And as, and I didn't even mention the DM thing, but you know, find what you like and steal it. Very game. Oh yeah, definitely. It's like the number one DM thing. Just find what you like and steal it for your game. Yep. And I mean, on uh, just to, to kind of piggyback off of that, uh, I found out that the only reason that I feel comfortable in DMing is the fact that I've, you know, listened to and watched like hundreds of hours of other people playing. So it's giving me ideas on how to handle things, how to run things. And just overall, you know, it's like, oh, well, you know, if they can do that. I, I probably can. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's much easier than it looks you just kind of have to go for it and then you figure it out as you go exactly that's what dnd is um all right well that uh that wraps up really the discussion part of our show um before we go we wanted to do a little bit of talk and i know you haven't played in our games but one of the things that we 
are hoping to do is kind of talk a little bit about either something that we played in the last few weeks or something we DM'd in the last few weeks that is kind of uh, momentous, I guess, to us or a lessons learned type thing. And I know we both recently DM'd a session because we both have monthly games that we play. And uh, Ben, why don't you start us off? What What did you guys do? What was interesting that happened in your last sessions? Well, um, I'm not proud of this, but I made my players completely paranoid. Uh, <laughs> so it, it, we'll, we'll start off with a, a bit more of a backstory than, uh, than what actually happened in the last session. Uh, I had a, uh, an encounter where there was a, uh, like a shadow demon that was inhabiting the basement of this inn that they were staying at. And it was like constantly affecting the innkeeper and everything until one night they woke up to her screaming ran into her room, saw the shadow demon attacking her. They started to attack and then it dropped through the floor into the basement. And so, you know, they rushed and and ran downstairs and then it it jumped into a a portal of some sort. So uh, our, our halfling warlock being who he is uh, immediately jumped in after it. Well, everybody else is like, should we go? Should we follow? And then (laughs) jumped in there too. And then it ended up there in a pocket dimension where there were a couple other portals out there. As they, they end up uh, attacking this demon, the dimension was uh, like falling apart to the point where finally when they killed it, there was one portal left that they jumped through. And it happened to spit them out in an entirely different town, in an entirely different basement of, of this different inn. Because of that, and the fact that not all of them grabbed all their stuff before they went to the basement. They left oh, no. a whole bunch of stuff back in this other city. So they started, I mean, other stuff happened, you know, other story, fun times and everything like that. But they finally got back to that, that, that first town. And ever since they've gotten their stuff back, anytime anything happens, they're like, okay, I'm grabbing all of my stuff. And so they're very paranoid about leaving anything behind. So totally my fault, my bad on that. But I thought it made some interesting storytelling. So we had fun with that. It, it always does. But um, here's the thing. So they just got back to the new town and things are drastically different from when they were there last, which is, it's been like uh, maybe two weeks since. Uh, oh, wow. So turns out that, uh, and they, so if they actually end up hearing this, they've gotten to the point where this has been discovered now. So I, I can freely say it. So it's not a big mystery. Um, but some doppelgangers have infiltrated the town and kind of taken over to do nefarious things. So this innkeeper that they saved from the shadow demon was one of them for reasons. Uh, I'm not going to get into why, because we haven't discussed that part yet, but so they show back up and, you know, she's acting all weird and everything. And then uh, she, she pulls the cleric out to like a, a, a back store warehouse thing to, you know, pick up something heavy for her. And then she attacks them. And so then they found out, oh my gosh, what's going on? And it wasn't revealed that it was a doppelganger until later. And then turns out the the head of the town, the Lord who's been, you know, ruling over it also one, which they found out and his Butler, which is like, oh my gosh. So they they got the number of how many there were, three down. There's two more to go, but who are they? So 
I made my players incredibly paranoid with losing their stuff and who they can actually trust. Uh, nothing to make your players paranoid like doppelgangers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, and uh, going back to DM stuff, um, so I totally didn't read something in the, uh, the, the monster information for it and kind of foobarred something up, which I'm like, okay, well, whatever. I'll give, them, give it to them for this session and everything like that, and I'm just going to continue carrying that foobar on forward, which is, did you know that doppelgangers can't be charmed? just complete immunity to it oh. uh well someone one of them got charmed because i didn't read it so i'm like ah whatever it helped him out yeah you just you just own your mistakes and you know you just keep doing it maybe it's a type of doppelganger that uh, is not immune to charm exactly exactly yeah. it's totally a thing uh for me so i had uh my my monthly session on saturday and my players had just gotten to the largest city on the continent. So I've actually been putting a decent bit of time in and prepping this because it's, it's a fairly big deal and there's a lot of things that that they could do. So um, what I decided to do was make a notice board and I actually made up a prop notice board and handed it to them so that they got to read all the the different jobs and stuff. So there's six different jobs. And so the, the session before this last one, um, and this is, this is something that's very handy to do. I said, okay, guys, we're in the city where you're about to be in the city. There's a lot of stuff that can happen. I need you to give me an idea of what you want to do so that I know what to prepare for. It's not, it's not bad to say that <laughs> because not at all, because if you, if you don't and just wing it, it may work out just fine, but chances are it's going to go better if you have an idea of what they're going to do so you can prepare for. It. Exactly. So I, so I was like, what do you, what are you guys wanting to do? And they looked in there, like, they picked two different jobs that they wanted to tackle first from this notice board. So I was like, great, cool. I know kind of what to prep for. So going into this, they picked, uh, what's, there's a large dueling pit, dueling arena inside the dragonborn district of this massive city of Elathar. And so they, they picked that to be their first thing. So I set up this, this whole gauntlet thing. Uh, we had a new player join last session as well, which was cool. So the first half was, very role play focused as they, they met him and got used to the city and learned uh, some lore, lore dump. And then they went into this combat. And so it was a really cool three tiered thing and they had limited resources for what they could do. And so they fought one thing after another. And I tried to mix it up a little bit and use some new techniques. And so they, they fought three drakes different types of drakes at first. And there is uh, some pillars, you know, some small environmental blocking things. And then, and they couldn't short rest. There was no time to short rest in between the three challenges. So they only were able to use uh, one greater healing potion apiece, which they were given. And that was like their limit and then spells. So it was a lot of what I was trying to do is a very big exercise in, okay, I want to teach you guys how to manage your resources because a lot of times you don't have a ton of encounters 
in a single day. Exactly. Unless a you're lot of times you just have one. Yeah, unless you're running through like a big dungeon or something like that, which it's really hard to get a, a long rest inside a dungeon. Exactly. And so that was one of the things that's like, okay, I want to kind of teach you a little bit of how to manage your resources. And then, so they, they beat the first one. The second one, I actually had the arena break up and raise up. So there's all these different rocks that were kind of split up. So they had to jump from rock to rock if they wanted to get to, to separate, separate rocks. And they fought a chimera and a manticore. And one of the things I learned out of this, and I've kind of learned along the way, is as a DM, especially once you start getting higher CR levels, because my, my party is now level six, um, action economy is much more important to give a challenging battle in a lot of ways than CR level. Because what I thought would have been one of the stronger challenges, because this was a, a CR six creature and a CR three creature, they wiped the floor with that one. That one ended up being not a big deal at all. They had more trouble with the Drakes because there was three of them. It's action economy is a really big deal, and we'll we'll probably have a whole segment on action economy. I um, definitely want to talk about that because I'm horrible at that at this point. So I need to get yeah. way better. Yeah, it's it encounter balancing is hard. It is. There's a lot of great guidelines and a lot of good rules you can do. And we'll talk about that at some point, but it, it's, it's hard. So they, they finished that and they're starting to, they're starting to be hurt at this point. They've all taken their potions. They've used some spell slots to heal and stuff. And so my third challenge, I tried something I've never tried before and it was a timed challenge. So they, they walk out and they were fighting this dwarven, uh, Dwarven Forge like magical suit of armor and these two um, dogs, like uh, robot dog, essentially robot dogs. Okay, um, but they're ma- magical and gear suits of armor. Two of them were dogs, and one of them was this 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 big armored dude. And as they walked out, I said, um, "There's." at the four corners of the arena, there's these four statues and they had seen them pour water forth to fill up the arena for another group that was fighting in the background while they were going. And I said, okay. And you look up as this battle starts and this giant hourglass appears in the air and flips over. And then I took out an hourglass and flipped it over. Oh man. And it was, it's a, it was a five minute hourglass. And so they, I don't, I wanted to kind of introduce time challenges to them and um, some sort of, I, I don't know, like not, not necessarily panic, but like, Oh, there's a deadline. There's a time limit to these things. And every five minutes, every time that hourglass stopped at the end of whatever turn was going on, one at first one section of the arena filled with fire for a second and then came out. And so anybody who was in that uh, had to succeed on a DC 15 deck saving throw or take two D six fire damage. So the first thing filled, I flipped it over again. Then the second part filled, then the third part filled and the fourth part filled. And so they kind of figured that out. But the next time I turned it over and it ran out, both the bottom parts filled. Oh, and then both the top parts filled. 
And then after that, the entire arena filled at the same time. And so as we're getting farther and farther down this, it was fun to watch the players because you could tell like their sense of urgency increased. And when they realized, oh no, this, this could actually cause us to lose. And so once the whole arena filled and I flip it over again, the next time it goes, the damage increases to 3d6, then 4d6 and 5d6 and so on until it's basically an enrage timer and they have to finish this or not. Yeah. And so the, the whole gauntlet, it was, it was a non-fatal gauntlet. It was one of those things where priests were standing by in case, you know, people went unconscious. So, because it you're not supposed to die in this arena. This was strictly a for the people's entertainment and for them to earn money. And it came down to the very end and the fire ended up finishing them off before they were able to beat phase three. So they only got the money from the first two phases. And it was one of those things where the players lost quote unquote. It was in, it was, this was a really great thing for me because I think it's good for the players to lose every yeah. once in a while. Yeah. Like it's, it's a very good lesson. It makes for a good story. And they were talking about it for quite a while after. And a few of them sent me messages afterwards, which as a DM, your player sending you messages and saying that was an amazing session is like super feel good man like that's Definitely. that's exactly what i love uh to happen whenever whenever we finish the session but i i thought it was a really good thing because you could tell they were playing faster and trying to get their turns done faster and faster as they realized what was going on and so it it just ended up being a very successful overall um from teaching new mechanics but kind of in a controlled environment it sounds like you did a great job with that that's awesome I'm going to have to steal that. And you should. Yes. Yes, I should. That's right. Um, Well, that is it for us tonight. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, We hope you enjoyed our first episode and we'd love feedback. We'd love feedback on if you like the show, uh, what kind of topics you'd want to hear about, what kind of community things you want talked about or shouted out that we should go look at. So Ben, why don't you tell everybody where they can hit us up? Uh, well, the best place to, or the best way to contact us actually is uh, email, believe it or not. Uh, you can send us an email, uh, send it to dndiscussions at gmail.com. That's D with the letter N, not D and because and is a really weird thing to put in an email address and it just didn't work for us. Um, if you want to get to us in a possibly timelier manner, or at least just to, you know, shout out and say, hi, uh, you can always reach us on Twitter. We are at DN discussions and Ryan, if people are looking for you on Twitter, where would they find you? Uh, you can find me over on Twitter at TBK Zord. Um, that is the handle I go by. So if Ben calls me TBK, that's why, <laughs> but you can find me over on Twitter at TBK Zord and uh, hit me up. I will talk about anything D and D related, probably for far too long. <laughs> you know what? Honestly, there is never too long. Seriously. Um, but uh, if you're looking for me, I'm also on Twitter. I am at Ben Bumhofer, and uh, this has been DM Discussions. Thank you very much for joining us for the first episode. 
I, for one, am definitely looking forward to the next one. Agreed. We will see you guys next time. Bye, everybody.